Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson. I am the founder, the chief investment officer, and the managing partner at the Bonson Group. And what all those titles have in common is that uh, this is my business responsible to oversee the financial affairs of a lot of client capital to manage and oversee the financial outcomes of the clients who have entrusted their financial well-being to our purview. And, And it's something we take very seriously. And this podcast is intended to provide our best advice and and our best insights on matters of key market ramification and and I uh, believe that the topic I'm going to cover over the next 15 or 20 minutes is perhaps one of the most important um, historically significant and and pragmatically uh, relevant topics that I will ever address in the uh, Advice and Insights podcast. And that is the uh, financial crisis of 2008, uh, the wrap-up of what our kind of 10-year anniversary special about the crisis has meant, and and giving some application and lessons learned and lessons going forward to today's and tomorrow's investors that came out of yesterday's horrific events. So if you if you haven't been able to follow it um, or or just hearing about it now for the first time, um, I did a ten part series, short articles each one, um, at uh, marketepicurean.com, uh, which is one of our web properties where we generally do deeper dive of of topics and and usually we'll write an article ad hoc, either once a week or once every other week or, or as inspired around a particular issue that warrants some market treatment. And I try to be less um, conscientious about vocabulary and, and level of investor sophistication there. We mean it to be a little bit deeper end of the pool relative to our Dividend Cafe property where we're really uh, doing our best anyways to try to provide a uh, broader message to a broader demographic of people. Well, we put our, our series um, at Market Epicurean because the financial crisis, although I happen to think the series is very readable and in some cases, hopefully kind of interesting, I did it biographically to kind of what was taking place um, on given days at different moments 10 years ago as we walked through the uh, Treasury Department seizure of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac as we walked through the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers, the Federal Reserve bailout of AIG, uh, and, and the key kind of Wall Street firm um, dramas that were taking place from Merrill Lynch to Morgan Stanley to Goldman Sachs to Wachovia, et cetera. And I think, I think that um, it combined certain uh, investment lessons and, and um, how do you say this? the underlying uh, activities that were necessary for there to be a credit bubble to kind of unpack a little bit about collateralized loan obligations, collateralized debt obligations, what these mortgage pools in the RMBS uh, world, residential mortgage-backed securities meant 
how they clogged up bank balance sheets, you know, super fun and interesting stuff like that. Well, we kind of address a little bit of that mechanically, but then combine that with a little bit more of a narrative around the crisis. And, and I've gotten wonderful, wonderful, overwhelming feedback on the series. And, and so I'm grateful for that. And, and that's why I bring it up that if you haven't checked it out, I think you might find it interesting. Um, but what I'm doing here in this podcast today is intentionally trying to provide a kind of key takeaway. Like, all right, we went through it. The history of it's great. A lot of people were hurt. Lehman went down. Wall Street changed. TARP was passed. The government did some stuff. Where are we now? Where are we now? What's it mean now? And I think that where are we now is is really kind of integrally connected to to, to uh, what we want to learn from the crisis. Because if you go back to March of 2009, and just from a stock market standpoint, we're going to pretend that's where the crisis ended. It is not, in fact, where the recession ended. It's not even close. Unemployment would not hit its peak for another year, over a year. And, and that had tremendous political implications for President Obama. He was totally unable to shake the fact that they had passed this almost trillion dollar stimulus. They had implemented the $700 billion TARP and the recession continued to get worse, not better. And, and then you go into the midterms, there are already other political things hanging over him, primarily the Obamacare vote passage and this Tea Party resurgence. But what exactly happened in the economy um, after March of 09 did have a lot of uh, uh, implications to President Obama. Um, and that was, but in reality, it really was kind of what recessions do. And it was certainly what stock markets do. Stock markets recover before the economy recovers. Why? Because markets are discounting mechanisms, pricing in today what it believes about tomorrow. That's why stock markets often drop before a recession comes. The, the, the data to say, call a recession is backward looking. The stock market is attempting to be forward looking. So I believe that in, in let's go back to March of 09, let's say summer of 09, markets starting to do better. And investors are saying, oh, God, we can't, we, we're really hesitant to get back in the market or to, or to keep this equity exposure because we, we just got done seeing what happened in the market. And, and yeah, now things are a little bit better than they were, but geez, you know, unemployment's so high and the GDP growth is so low and, and the overall economic uh, activity and confidence on both the consumer and business level were so low. And my argument then and my argument for the rest of time will, will be and was that, but you're forgetting that markets look forward. Markets were well aware and were pricing in at that point, the fact that the economy was, um, going to have to be turning around. So what turned the economy around? You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about how TARP had nothing to do with the reversal. You know, and, and I think this is a lesson that especially partisans like myself have a hard time with. You want to believe that uh, a political party or a political person, a, a candidate um, came in and did something that changed it. And sometimes that happens, you know. Reagan's tax cuts... Um, in the, uh, both 1982 and 1986, had a profound effect on the economy and the market. Um, Nixon's wage and price controls in the early 70s had a profoundly negative impact. By the way, I did purposely use two Republican examples, one of strength and one of weakness, 
because I don't want to be accused of partisanship in this. I'm giving objective examples. But for the most part, why do we recover out of recessions? We recover out of recessions because we recover out of recessions. That the cure for low prices is low prices. That uh, uh, forward-moving economies work because of the doctrine of self-interest. That people are not content to stay in uh, poverty and unemployment, in in uh, stagnation, that there was a forward progress in nature, human nature. It doesn't apply to all people at all times. That's a cultural and sociological uh, comment. But across a broad economy, um, the pursuit, you get to a point where cyclical things cycle. And unemployment gets low enough to where employers in the need of labor to provoke their own business model success need to go hire people again. And it creates a resurgence of inventories, of activity, and the job market gets better. So can policy levers make a difference around the edges? Of course they can, and they do. Uh, Sometimes negatively, whether you're talking about monetary or fiscal policy. But my argument for you would be very simply that out of 2009, without any ability to time exactly when the bottom was going to be, we had gotten to a point where the financial crisis was ready to be done because it was ready to be done. We had gone low enough. By the time uh, after President Obama was inaugurated, and Treasury Secretary Geithner and President Obama flirted for a month or so with a quasi-nationalization of the banks. There was significant speculation as to whether or not the preferred stock of these firms would be wiped out. You got to a point where things were so low that they were pricing in Um, uh, just complete and total elimination of the Dow Jones industrial economy. And and that um, obviously was not sustainable or palatable and prices were able to move higher. You got um, some policy help with uh, the suspension of FASB 157, the so-called mark-to-market accounting rules that were um, antiquated and unable to keep up with the challenges of the times and enabled um, healthier fluidity in capital markets when banks were able to better price assets that were fully performing um, but were being marked at 50 cents on the dollar because of illiquidity and drastically ruining uh, our financial system's capital ratios. And so mark-to-market accounting helped kind of breathe a little, you know, breath back into things. But also markets began to see that if we weren't at an earnings bottom, we were pretty close to one. So what happened from there? A lot of fun. Uh, Markets began. Multiple expansion. We were at very, 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 very low PEs. And, and, and you had um, companies just simply uh, doing what companies do, cutting cost, uh, improving profit margins, uh, trying to creatively add to top line revenues um, and reinvesting in their businesses in a way that could uh, provoke greater growth, innovation, profitability, productivity into the future. 
and and uh, it was a shining decade for corporate America. Um, there was a significant amount of optimization of their balance sheets, of of optimization of their income statements, of uh, continually confounding the critics and the bears in terms of profit margins, um, and then uh, ongoing revenue growth on the top line, organic revenue growth. So I'm kind of going through this replay as to how the market rally happened. But back to the, the bottom of the crisis in March, if somebody said when we were at that point, the Dow was at 6,500, the S&P was at 666, and things were really that bad, and, and we said 10 years out from now, uh, the S&P is going to be close to 3,000, the Dow is going to be close to 27,000, um, there isn't a person who could have visually anticipated it. And I'm cherry picking the bottom level there. Okay, that's that's fine. The fact of the matter is the market didn't get back to its 2007 high until 2013. So there was a lot of time spent just making up for lost ground. Um, but the the return from the bottom level to top level has been something to behold. And it did most of that in a pretty tepid economy. Um, the economy was better. But the hangover of having to work through such an incredibly deflationary and debt-ridden milieu was not easy. And it was not done with a lot of assistance from overseas economic partners. Europe has been a debacle for 10 years. Emerging markets have had very uh, little assistance to offer through the process. Japan has been almost non-existent. There's been spikes and rallies, particularly in emerging markets in Japan, up and down through this period. Not as much with Europe. But the fact of the matter is that the U.S. was the global leader in replenishing its balance sheet. And, and so there are critics who will point to the fact that we've severely levered up the national balance sheet, which is very true. $21 trillion of debt and $1 trillion annual deficits uh, continue to, to sit on the horizon. Um, and you also have a significant uh, amount of monetary policy intervention from the Federal Reserve. And the three different rounds of quantitative easing they did, the uh, adding of nearly $4 trillion to their own balance sheet, they've just recently started to reduce that couple hundred billion dollars so far. So um, uh, the, the, you know, a very sustained period of zero interest rates and even now very low interest rates. So we threw the kitchen sink at this thing monetarily and fiscally. But I will tell you that no greater factor exists in the recovery of equity markets than the reality of free enterprise the reality of companies innovating, growing, and, and doing what they do. And I believe that the lessons of 2008 are embedded in where we sit here in 2018, that capital markets are a constant search. They are in constant search of the most rational, efficient, optimal, place and use for capital and that the law 
of risk assets is that they will find that spot through time. Uh, we will, and, and investors are wise to be allocated into capital markets to gain from that rational optimization of, of uh, capital put to its best use. Capital is not put to its best use on the sideline. It's in cash under your, your bed, even if for a year or two. I mean, anyone who went to cash and hid it under the bed in, in late 2007 and didn't pull out till, uh, pull the cash back out from under the bed until March of 2009 would have been very, very happy. Um, but the ability to know when the top is coming and when the bottom is coming and things of that nature is impossible to have consistently executed. And therefore, um, we believe uh, an exercise in futility. Um, first of all, anyone who tells you, I hear it all the time. I always have a little half a grin on my face. But those people that constantly talk about how they got out of the market right before it dropped in 08, got back in, um, there's enough people who've told me that, that apparently not a single person lost money in the financial crisis in our country because everybody was a genius. Uh, obviously, we know it isn't true, and that, it's okay. It's kind of human nature. Exaggerate or lie or, or remember, misremember, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but... The fact of the matter is people did see tremendous uh, impairment to the value of their assets in 2008. Um, earnings collapsed and therefore stock prices collapsed. And you take a brutal cyclical business cycle recession like the Great Recession and tack on an unbelievable six standard deviation event like the credit crisis, the biggest bubble since the Japan asset bubble of the early 1990s, and that was the American housing crisis, in which collectively we as a society went on about a four or five year binge of flat out losing our minds. Flat out losing our minds about how housing prices work, about how extraction of equity works, about what the purpose of a mortgage is, the purpose of a monthly payment, the purpose of equity in a home, and the purpose of a home itself. And so we were punished for that in the form of a housing bubble that burst. And uh, we sit where we sit today. Um, is another crisis around the corner? Of course it is. Another crisis is always around the corner. Part of living in a fallen world, there will be more crisis. Is another crisis like 08 around the corner? Uh, no, the next crisis will not look like 08. It will be different because they're always different. And will it be as bad as 08? I suspect not. You never know. But I would guess that the next time we have a downturn, it'll look like a new downturn. It will feel like a new downturn. Um, there's a reason why 08 was called the Great Recession. It was a rather um, anomalic event. But I do believe that that crisis and all other periods of distress and despair in the markets serve the purpose of reminding investors that this is the risk premium that they have signed up for, that they made a deal with God, that they will take on the risk of, of drawdowns, of severe volatility, of certain unknowns. They will do that in exchange for a long-term return 
that will compound at a much higher rate than they could get risk-free. And that premium between what they can get risk-free, let's call it short-term treasuries, versus what they can get by owning asset classes like stocks, real estate, etc., that risk premium is what most investors need in order to achieve financial success around their different goals of college saving, of retirement, uh, what foundations and endowments and pension funds need and things of that nature. So is living through the crisis of 08 part of the cost of getting that risk premium, um, a return above and beyond the risk-free rate? The answer is yes, but I don't think that the 08 period happens very often. But what happened to those people who couldn't persevere, who forgot the deal that was made? I take on these risks of, of, you know, spike of volatility here and there. And in exchange, I get a better result. Uh, they got creeped out. They, they ended up selling at the worst times and then played a very, very, very long, sometimes multi-year game of is it time to get back in? Is it time to stay away? Is it time to get back in? Because the fatal flaw had already been uh, achieved, which was um, now one's pride was hurt and they had regret. And regret is an unbelievable, they have regret for having gotten out when they did. Regret is an unbelievably difficult emotion to contend with in investing. The lesson of 2008 is to not have regret. Don't have regret by taking on excessive leverage in speculative assets. Don't participate in bubbles on the way up. Maintain moderate balance and asset allocation principles when things are good so that you do not have regret when things go bad. And then when things go bad, do not have regret by compounding the problem, by selling out of quality, well-managed, well-balanced, diversified, asset-allocated portfolio assets at the worst possible time so that you have bought high and sold low all in one cycle. And then as things inevitably recover in whatever period of time it takes, you have to fight the game of, of regretting what you did twice and it further skewing um, your fear and your, your emotions around doing what needs to be done to optimize your portfolio. I'm going to close you with the last couple lines of my uh, Market Epicurean conclusion to this series. I hope to never go through an event like the credit crisis of 2008 again, yet I, knew we will, yet I know we will go through bad times again. I'm significantly more confident, read, researched, and competent than I was 10 years ago, and yet I am also significantly more humble. I can read 10,000 pages of investment research, and when the madness of crowds kicks in, I will be unable to think my way out of it on behalf of our clients. What I can do and will do is call on every lesson of 2008, every lesson before that, and every lesson that will be. They all come down to this. Free markets work. The profit motive works. Optimism is the only realism. The world doesn't end. Even bad crises end. 
the arc of history is on the side of the disciplined investor. And faith, family, and friends trump all, even 2008. Thank you for listening to the Advice and Insights podcast. Reach out with any questions anytime. We really appreciate you bearing with us for this longer message this week. It's an important one to me. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.